Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Welcome to the Here We Are podcast, everybody. I'm Shane Moss, stand-up comedian extraordinaire and regular host of this podcast, my co-host this week. I'm Shu Han He. I wear many hats. My first is I see people clinically. I'm a resident physician at the National Hospital uh, and Brigham Women's Hospital. I also uh, have a company called MazeEngineers.com. We make uh, uh, neural behavioral apparatuses for researchers and neuroscientists, and I do experiments myself as well. Um, so we look at uh, mouse behavior and how look at how that. Uh, helps neurological drugs get developed. Yeah, we didn't even talk about all of your ER background. We just yeah. we just got lost in a maze of maze talk. Well, maze of mazes. And we got all the way to the uh, nice, delicious cheese <laughs> at the end. So I think you guys will enjoy this episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. All right, Shuhan, I'm here. We're going to be talking a lot about mazes today. I'm poorly prepared for we, me, me too. We just like emailed okay. today and was like, "Hey, can yeah. you do this?" It's like it's uh, like this is how the modern world works, you know. It's like <laughs> Tinder, right? It's, it's all about it's all about the uh, the spontaneity, right? I you want to yeah. meet up a, and have yeah. a, a one podcast stand <laughs> yeah. and then never hear from me again. Okay, only if it's about psychedelics. <laughs> only if it's all about psychedelics and I'm out of my mind. We can talk all sorts of drugs. Well, we can talk about that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Walk me through the maze of talking about mazes. Okay. Where where do we uh, where do we? So I want 
I want to have this conversation to be this. Yeah. I want to. I want this maze to be like a really rewarding, stimulating. Yeah. Maze and get to the. It, hopefully, not too many of those dead ends. I always oh, have. Okay. I always have a few dead ends <laughs> right, here and there. Right. That's that's just how conversations yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Gonna, there's gonna yeah. be a few. But there's gotta be some around. cheese at the end, right? So, yeah. Okay. So let's get to that cheese. <laughs> so right. so where are we starting? It, okay. What's how about what's I just give you? I'll this? give you the five minute spiel. Well, two minute sure. spiel. Five minutes is too long. So. Here's the deal. I like uh, five minutes. Five minutes? Okay. All right. So we know in neuroscience that uh, there is a lot of uh, work done on the brain to look at how wires and and uh, and um, neural circuits fire. Okay. What we don't know a lot about is how those things matter in the end. How does a, an animal as an organism behave, right? And I'm a really simple guy. I do... Um, so I'm emergency medicine, right? And so what I do a lot of is outcomes and see how uh, people function or mice function afterwards, right? So, um, so what I care about is is how things behave in the end, right? What I what I what I think is in, in fundamentals of neuroscience is how an organ behaves, right? You can't separate the mind from the rest of the body. Uh, you can another organ like a liver, right? But mm. <clears throat> fundamentally, the, the brain controls the body, and it's one organism. It's a sack of cells and physiology, right? Yeah. So the brain as a whole has to function, and that's what we care about in the end. If you have a traumatic brain injury, what I, I don't really care how the, what your wires function independently. I care if you can talk to me, love, speak, see a movie, and you know go, go play a sport, right? That's what matters. So um, what I fundamentally concentrate on is outcomes in science, in neuroscience. Right. Um, so... Uh, mazes are really the perfect way to do that, right? So you are running them through uh, a challenge and that can pick up, in theory, subtle deficits in how mice and rats and animals behave, okay? And then we can talk a little bit about uh, are mice and rats and, hum- and humans really that similar? And that's a whole nother discussion that I and can talk on and on and on about, right? But fundamentally, if, if you believe that you can uh, tell anything about mice and rats, uh, you should be able to put them through puzzles and challenge them and figure out if they're doing well, right? So what I look at is how does an animal behave and how does it behave after you give them a drug? How does it behave after you give them, uh, you know, a psychedelic or, or not a pharmaceutical? Uh, how does it behave after you give them a disease? So a concussion, a traumatic brain injury, uh, things like strokes. Okay. So one of the things that's happened just historically was that back in the 30s, there used to be really intricate mazes like these, you know, the, the classic ones you used to think about, right? So these very large, elegant grids where it literally a slice of cheese at the end. And these physiologists, um, you know, the really, really prominent ones would, would essentially run them through very complex mazes and they would be able to tell really subtle things about the way they behaved and learned, right? <clears throat> and they were very intricate. And you and and basically, uh, there was a psychologist named George uh, Tolman. You know, he had this quote that was, "You everything you can ever learn about the mind, you can learn from a mouse running through a maze." It's a hundred percent true, right? You can see how they learn, how fast they learn. He can manipulate how fast they learn as well. So if you uh, run a mouse through a maze after seven days, it will run faster if it learns better, right? And if it's a little slower, it'll learn how to uh, f- uh, solve that puzzle a little slower than other mice. So this matters a lot in in modern pharmaceutical drugs. If you come to the emergency department where I see patients, uh, you if you have a neurological issue, right? If you have a stroke, if you have a traumatic brain injury, if, there, if you have um, anything that's acute, we cannot treat you with anything that really makes a difference at all. Um, <clears throat> there's been a lot of attempts to make something called the neuroprotectant. So in that situation where you, we've, you've hit your head uh, off uh, a motorcycle and you are now concussed and you're not speaking anymore and your outcome is going to be pretty poor, to be frank with you. We're going to think that generally you're not going to be able to get back to uh, the regular Shane that you know, we are used to uh, hearing podcasts from. And so uh, what's going to happen is that um, – so 
so what we, we've wanted to do for a long time is I think we, I'm speaking we, like I'm part of all this, but uh, you know, the military, for example, uh, had an initiative after the Iraq war where they wanted to um, find a neuroprotectant because a lot of soldiers come back with concussions, uh, traumatic brain injuries, and where they have really bad things, uh, deficits like um, depression, anxiety, PTSD, uh, sleep disorders, uh, mood disorders, and, and just lacking cognitive function. So there have been 33 human trials for uh, in traumatic brain injury alone uh, for a neuroprotectant, and 100% of them have failed. So drugs like neuroprogesterone, uh, um, <clears throat> magnesium, and stroke have been really prominent ones that we all thought would work, and none of them did. So, and one of the reasons why is because, um, ironically, they work in mice and rats. They 100% of the time work, and then they go to people, and they don't work. And a lot of people are saying, well, this is because... Um, Mice and rats and humans are different, right? And, and I have a really different theory on this. The reason I think it happens is because people have a very vested interest to make sure they work in mice and rats. Uh, I, people are are really interested in the drug of their of their research, and so when they are working on this in mice and rats, um, it's a very subjective thing um, right now, and they. Um, they really believe that this drug works. And so when you're grading these mice in the mazes, um, it doesn't work very well because uh, you are able to say that it works 100% of the time. And that's, you know, reverse of what you want. You want to be able to fail drugs early so that when it gets to humans, it's going to work. You know it's going to work. All right. So, uh, you know, the, the average drug time for development of one of these drugs is like $880 million. And for 33 of these human trials, 100% have failed. That's, you know, Billions of dollars have gone wasted uh, for drugs and, and time and energy that have gone to uh, drugs that haven't worked. Um, <clears throat> so the DOD put out a paper uh, a couple of years ago from a workshop from NINDS in conjunction with NIDS and DOD essentially saying that like one of the highest priorities is getting good neuroprotectants and good getting good uh, objective data at the preclinical stage, with at the mice stage, uh, to test drugs to know that they work. Uh, before they go to humans. And so um, if you look at the the evolution of mazes, as I was mentioning back in the early days, you'd have these very complex mazes that would tell you a lot of information. And then somewhere back around the 70s, the mazes turned into very simple ones. So there's things, something called the T-maze. Literally, it's just a mouse in a stem, and then it would make a choice, left or right. Okay? Mm -hmm. And a lot of this was driven by the way statistics works. It's easy to uh, to to do statistics on these sorts of experiments. So you could say that, like, you know, this mouse uh, preferred the one arm uh, where it learned a little faster, right, uh, compared to the other arm. And so um, if you look at the evolution, it, the, these tests actually have gotten worse over time, but simpler and easier to do, right? right. And so they actually don't tell you as much information about how drugs work or how uh, diseases function. Or but it speeds you. along how quickly you can get something exactly. like it. Exactly. Yeah. And it speeds along how fast you can get to humans where mm -hmm. it then fails, right? So the argument here is that you actually make the, need to make these tests much more robust, right? So there's a lot of ways in we're attacking this. The first is um, looking at old mazes and just looking at the ones that are not used very often anymore and bringing back some of the technology. So um, there, I'll give you one example of this. There is one paper, uh, about two paragraphs in length, right, from the University of Wisconsin um, back in like 1989 that described a device <clears throat> that was actually completely brilliant. It is a device that puts rats inside of like a like a chamber, and you lift them upwards. Okay, mm -hmm. and the whole point of the experiment was to look at their tail and the vein and how the blood flowed. It was nothing to do with with uh, absolutely nothing to do with how the mice be rat behaved in that experiment. Okay, but if you actually use that device 
in uh, motor function. It's actually like a, an amazing test for motor function. So one of the ways you can test mice and rats right now and see how they walk, right, is to put them essentially through like uh, like the mini Spartan race, right? So you, you put them through a ladder and see if they can like climb and how many, uh, you know, rungs they miss, right? So really subtle deficits like that. Okay. So this thing instead puts them on tilt, right? So you can see at what angle they fail, right? It's an amazing little test. And it was described in like one paper for this and never again, right? And and part of what I want to do is say like, hey, someone should use this again. And and, and just hasn't and, and part of the reason why this is popularized was some mazes just got popular because either one person really advocated for it, you know, there's a guy named Richard Morris who uh really built his career off of something called the Morris Water Maze, where you put a rat inside a, a bucket of milk and you have him swim around and find the platform. Um, there's a lot of issues with this test as well. Um, the, one of the main issues is that it might actually be a better test of visual acuity. So how good a mouse sees rather than its ability to learn. Um, it's also, uh, really hard to do. You have to clean this tub or else it gets really disgusting and gross after a day or two. And it takes a lot of time to clean, uh, you know, to cycle between mice and rats and stuff like that. So, um, there are a lot of better tests. That is, that's my least favorite, um, mouse maze that i have in my house oh really oh the milk always curdles oh yeah you you make cheese out of it though yeah Yeah. i I sell that actually you sell the cheese Mm, Mm, i know right speaking of fantastic ideas i know right so you're making all of these so you're making these mazes to try to help keep science honest yeah, in some degree, right? Uh, and there's a couple of different ways you can go about this. You can, as I said, uh, bring those old ones back that I think are a little more useful than uh, some of the other ones that just happen to be more popular, right? Um, so there's a really good um, neuroscientist out of uh, the UK. Um, <clears throat> right now I'm blanking on his, um, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Robert Deacon. This guy writes amazing papers and has these incredible devices that no one really uses that often. And... Uh, I really think they should be used more often. Um, his his device is like incredibly brilliant. Um, so there's one test where so this is how a lot of uh, benzos were developed. Okay, so benzodiazepines are a drug for anxiety. Okay, so yeah, so you know, so, how- <laughs> so you you make this really complicated maze, and then right. if it sits there and doesn't even try, you're like, it works. Yes. Yes. Well, no, actually, in truth, that's actually how it works, right? Really? So you put them. It's something called. I was uh, just joking. No, it, you're you're a neuroscientist. Okay. You you are ready. You're ready. Um. So you put them in a in a cross. Okay. Yeah. Two of those arms have dark uh, areas, and two of them have light areas. It's called the elevator plus maze. Okay. And when you give a mouse a benzodiazepine mm-hmm. to calm them down they will spend more time in the open areas. The theory here is that evolutionary mm-hmm. speaking, they're more susceptible to um, to the want to spend time. Exactly, exactly. So, so it's not, area. right, exactly. So you've yeah. got the idea, right? And Robert Deacon's idea instead was instead of these four arms, why don't you use one arm? So instead of using a cross, right? The problem with the cross is that there's a center area. And when you're in the center area, you can't really interpret what the mouse is doing, right? You It hasn't made any decision at all. So instead, what we, he did was he took just an alley, right? A straight alley. And you put this alley over a, a table. It's something really simple. And the more time it spends in the start area, right? It, the start area is a dark area. And so it is more what we call uh, anxiolytic. So it's going to you know cause less fear. But the more you walk out, literally a plank, right? Mm-hmm. 
the more uh, fear it caused, right? It would cause me fear to walk onto a plank over a huge table, right? And this is actually an assay. So what's brilliant about it is that if you are somewhere in the middle, you know how far out they went, right? So it's also a quality, a quantitative uh, assessment of how actual, how much anxiety you have, right? Mm-hmm. So it's actually really smart because you're removing a lot of the problems with the other maze. But somehow this maze is not used as widely. It's just not because of just because we're, you know, it's, it's not replicated as often. It's not as widely known. And so it's just not used as often. And so, uh, part of what I want to do is say, Hey, you should not be afraid to use this. This is actually a really good device and it makes a lot of sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's published. It's, it's got great methodology. Um, and it's got great, great results. Right. So something very simple like that is a very simple, small fix that you can, you can do. Right. And then you start to get really complicated stuff where you have, um, you can start to make, think about like really automated devices that run themselves. Right. So if you can imagine like a, a mouse Pleasantville or a mouse, um, uh, mouse hunger games. Right. So you put a mouse inside of a box and you have a bunch of mice live in the box and you make them do puzzles all day long in order to get food, in order to get sex, in order to get shelter and housing. Now you're talking about like an entirely an entire world that just drives data by itself, right? You don't need somebody to sit there and do experiments, right? It's just the box does the experiment, right? right. So that's kind of the, the the overarching goal. That's that's the you know the utopia, right? That we would all want to get to. So you'd be giving all these different rats like different drugs or something, and just seeing what. In theory, yeah. I mean, what I'm talking about here is. Something that's going to take years, right? That that is that's the dream, right? Is that you'd have a, a box that you throw a bunch of mice into, and you throw a bunch of drugs into, and what it spits out in the end is the answer, right? This mouse did better with this drug, yeah, right. And, and these are objective. You don't you don't touch it. You don't mess with it. You don't try and cheat it. You don't try and just hope hope to God that it, your drug is going to do better, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're trying you're trying to make sure that um, it's very objective. That's what you want to see. Right, and so there's there. Part of what I'm doing is looking at research into how do you make this kind of device. Right, um, I think there's a lot of ways that it's being approached right now um, in the field. There's people who um, make home cages, so you make one cage and you just put a bunch of sensors in that cage, right? And you just from that cage see how it behaves. Right, I approach it slightly differently in that I think it's more healthy to put in a in a larger area in a larger box that has a lot of puzzles, like dynamic puzzles, right? So things like the walls and doors opening and closing in order for you to get food, right? And the only way for you to get that food is to figure out a puzzle before every single day, right? And just runs by itself. Right. Right? Something like that would be absolutely brilliant. And you have them all compete against each other too. So let's say there is only a certain amount of food between 10 mice, right? And you make them compete against each other. And you can figure out things like, you know, intelligence, hierarchy dominance like all these things that really start to matter and also um you know uh, things like even rehabilitation right it's basically impossible right now to do rehabilitation uh in before humans so you can imagine what do you mean so one of the problems with a stroke is that you know you you can't move your arms or your legs right Mm -hmm. and that's going to cause a lot of problems um the the one of the essentially the only ways to treat this is rehab you just make them walk for months and months and maybe eventually they'll get back to the baseline and most of them most people don't uh, most people have some issues after a stroke long term um, the idea is that you have an adjuvant drug so you have a drug that you give while you're doing rehab that makes you function better right so if you're an athlete right you can imagine this this also helps you 
you know, just learn faster or learn better. It, it's the other side of this coin is the smart drug, right? The, right. the mouse that makes you really smart. So there was a, a paper back in 1999. Uh, it was like a nature or science paper that was called the Doogie Hauser mouse. It got a ton of press. Okay. And what this mouse did was they gave uh, upregulated with, uh, I think it was gene therapy, um, their GABA receptors in their spine. And if you actually look at this paper and how they determined this mouse was smarter than another mouse was they did the Morris water maze for three days compared to regular mice. Okay. And after the th only on the second day did it perform better than the regular mice. And that was their conclusion that this mouse is probably smarter, right? It's actually not a great conclusion. And, and it's the results were a little bit misleading. But in theory, if you are able to uh, have a device or have experiments that can um, figure out what drugs uh, help you do better after strokes, you can figure out what drugs make you smarter, right? Mm. What drugs make you learn faster, uh, make you perform better, uh, make you faster, um, all those things. It's the same, same thing. And, and both are part of this too. Um, so instead of hunger games, can you have more of like just an amusement park? That it's yeah, like you can make it the mouse Olympics. More yeah, you can make the mouse Olympics, right? <laughs> Rather than I mean, like a life or death. No, sort of. right. it shouldn't be a life or death, right? It well, should never be a life or death. That, I mean, that, it's a way to illustrate it, but. It, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I just think to, if you're replicating it, it like a hu I mean, a lot of humans are in too much of a rat race, right. if you ask me. So it's, there, there's so much like performance, performance, performance. Yeah. Whereas I want to see the rat that like figures out how to string up a hammock. Yeah. And, and be happy, and right? Chill out a little right. bit. So, so there's also tests to make to see how happy mice and rats are, right? Like depression, the, the way that most modern uh, antidepressant drugs were invented were, um, were through essentially animal behavior experiments where they put them in uh, all kinds of contraptions uh, to figure out um, if, 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 you know, um, like I think sertraline or no, venlafaxine was, so venlafaxine was uh, a drug originally for uh, anxiety and also for smoking, but um, it, it essentially, it helps. And, and the way that it was developed originally was they would, <laughs> this sounds really horrible now, they put mice into a little container, okay? Yeah. And it's got full of water. And they see how long it takes for them to give up <laughs> trying to swim yeah. as a measure of their, like, depression and, and, like, desire to fight, you know, fight the man and fight the system, right? Right. So, uh, so and, and, you know, the, all, all these other screens, essentially. And, and, right. and how it was developed was not that they actually knew how this drug worked. They developed it because they knew it worked first. Right. Yeah. And then they figured out, oh, hey, this uh, upregulates serotonin, you know, in the body. Right. Hmm. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of these things, um, you, you should know if they work and then how it actually affects the brain is much later down the line. Right. That That's actually kind of secondary if you think about it. Right. Uh, if to, to knowing if something works. So. So what are the big differences between the human and the rat? Yeah, no, this is a good question. So this is a great question, right? It seems it's, like it's there's, a, there's a few differences. There's a few differences. But, um, you know, I, I think, first of all, I, I always think back to just um, the arguments in, in history, right? Where um, every, just generally in history, whenever a man has made this argument that we're different or special, it's been mostly wrong. 
Right. But we've made better we've arguments made. Made. than the we've animals made. have. So, so much but, better. So, we've, absolutely. We've at least absolutely. There, so there's not that many Socrates yeah. of of, uh, of the mice. The, of the mice. Well, you, maybe they just don't know them. Yeah. Um. So there sure. are there are. Uh, so I always refer to two famous two studies that I I love. Okay. Um. There was a study in PNAS, so the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, like really procedural. Um. This came out I think in like 2003. Where it looked at the epigenetic, um, uh, markers of inflammation or just how, how essentially the genes, uh, in mice express themselves, right? Yeah. And it concluded that based on this, that mice are fundamentally different than humans. Okay. Fundamentally different. It was, I think, like a 99% homogeneity, which is actually very different, right? So if you have like 1% difference, it's like very, very different, right? It's not the DNA, but how it expresses itself, right? Right. So two years later, I think either the same team or different team, Reran the same data, and the actual conclusion is literally exactly the opposite. It was humans and mice are very similar epigenetically, genetically actually, uh, and they show the same patterns of inflammation, same learning patterns, etc. Right, mm-hmm. and the the whole point of this conclusion was they used the same data set. Right, it was this. It was literally like titled almost exactly the same. And the only difference in that paper was that it was actually very similar. Um, so I think when you actually look at and you, it, to be frank, when you spend enough time with these things, you kind of know. You just get a sense of things, right? Um, I think you talk to anybody who's take care of like horses, right? They have personalities. Dogs have personalities, right? They're not that different than people, and they learn pretty quickly, right? Yeah. You spend enough time with like your household dog. You know, he kind of knows what's going on, right? He kn- or it thinks it's a human, and then <laughs> or it thinks it's like, a human, right? It's adorable, but kind of <laughs> right. stupid. But at the same here's the time. other question for you: are like, they- I don't ever think I'm a dog. Sometimes do I do. You? I so, mean, so, yeah. are, I mean, this gets really philosophical, right? Like, are people <laughs> really that like? Much into free will. Like, I kind of do things because I'm told to all the time. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, like people are on the rat race all the time, right? Like, do really people really think about that, that much, that stuff, that much stuff when they think about, like, oh, I want that promotion. Why do you want that promotion? Right. Just because. And because it's the next thing to do and it gets me $5,000 extra dollars. But that doesn't right. make you happier. I don't know. Does it? Right. Right. Like, right. Are we that special? Like, do, do people who just go to the office nine to five every single day for, you know, 40 years and never take a vacation, like, is that really. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm this seems really philosophical, right? It does. And I've, I've definitely, um, through most of my life, I've been like uh, on the side of humans are not that special, damn okay. it. And then, uh, but, but it's funny that the, I think the human mind is powerful enough to trick you into thinking yeah. that it's pretty special, which is, well, it's, it's, uh, humans excel at thinking they're special. Right. I, I, um, How about this? You know, you know what I, you know what I think? And this is asking me personally, not professionally, right? Yeah. I think people are really special and they're not at the same time, right? Right. I think, I think, I think we are, life is like that. I think we are super simple. You can predict what people are going to do based on their fulfilling very fundamental needs, right? How we're going to eat, how we're going to find love. How are we going to like find family and shelter and very simple things that we all need and want, right? Yeah, but am I going <laughs> to raise my voice right now? Uh, see? You I don't couldn't. Know. You didn't. You well, weren't I don't know. To... <laughs> maybe you maybe you would. But the, but the, here's the thing. So, we want the same things I think any, you know, right. mouse or rat does. But at the same time, I think we're special because I f- I personally think we're special, right? It's like it's like the person. I mean, like, look at these fancy clothes we're I know, wearing, right? And so wearing, like something these, from Old Navy. I don't these know. primates, we've really I dressed know, ourselves right? up. We've really evolved, really. I, I tell you. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I, to me, it matters, right? Then that's why I'm doing this work, right? Because I, I think you see somebody who lost brain function. You can, you know, right now we're very, very good in medicine of protecting a human body. 
but when the mind's gone, it's it's not useful, right? No, we're not doing anything of meaning, right?、Mm-hmm. And to me, what's of meaning is having a very functional brain. Uh, a brain that can still talk and can still、uh, communicate, interact with us as, as people, right? And to me, that's meaningful. And to me, I I still do believe that、uh, mice and rats tell us the fundamental information we need to protect our brains, right? To find the neuroprotectant, to find、um, uh, drugs that will decrease inflammation after a concussion, right? And and to me, that's still meaningful. And、um, so, in a way, humans are still special, right? Um, we still have special brains that we need to protect, and、um, but you know the the if you're talking now scientifically about the fundamental traces of inflammation in the brain and the inflammatory cascade and how complement works in the immune system after blood breakdown,、uh, blood brain barrier breakdown, right?、Yeah. That's not that different because in the end, the inflammation cascade in mice and rats is not that different than humans, and that's actually what drives a lot of damage after strokes and two traumatic brain injuries and things like that. I I like the oscillation. I just like messing with people. No, like, no, you、like、you humans, you are very special. Yeah, we are special. No, just kidding. Well,、you're、I mean, think about it from my perspective, right? I I talk all about mice and rats, and you know, people look at me like I'm crazy because, you know, we're people, and and,、uh, and so、uh, people think, well, why do you think I'm, you know, people have a fundamental reflex to say I'm different than those things, right? Right. And, and I I want to acknowledge that they are we are different than mice and rats, right? We're not the same as as、um, they're different species, but at the same time, that doesn't take away from the fact that they still have a lot of information to give us, and, and、right. that that to me is what's important, right?、Um, I, I don't. I try not to tell people like, oh yeah, we're the same, but you kind of do want to tell people. I want to tell people that you know? sometimes I do. Sometimes you, yeah, I want to take people down a peg, but、right. the, it just depends on. Some people need to hear that. Some people need a little. <laughs> right. <laughs> it depends if they, if they're if they're、uh, if people are suffering from low self esteem、right. at the moment, then、right. you got to be like, no, you're a very special person. Right. right. And, <laughs> but if they're getting a little too full. Themselves,、right. then you just go.、Oh, you're just a filthy animal.、Right. Well, sometimes you look at the state of country and you kind of wonder, like, oh, you know, that's special, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then we, we can, get into those things. We but, could、yeah. use a little self awareness, yeah, probably. probably. You think so, right? Yeah.、Um, yeah. I mean, that's uh, uh, the, the uh, you can you can look at like we can we can be aware enough to look at our. The state of the country. We can look at our culture and be like, "Is this just an expression of our own inner worlds? Is this, is this an exaggeration of of、uh, of our flaws and or what is、uh, special about us in in certain cases?"、Um, so you have to speak to the animals in their own language a little bit. What about?、Uh, I mean, rats. A lot of their sensory perception is. Olfactory. So does <laughs> that does that change how drug interactions work? I don't think it changes that much about how drug interactions work as much as、um, how you have to design tests, right?、Um, so obviously, so there's a lot of issues with modern tests in that they rely on visual cues、uh, to determine how fast mice and rats learn. And so, in theory, you should actually just remove those entirely. It should be more olfactory and and tactile cues, right?、Um, but the, That's kind of a limitation based on like cost. It's a lot easier to throw a piece of paper on a wall, and say, "Look at this big red thing,"、um, and, and and there's trade-offs, right? It's not going to be a perfect test.、Um, I do advocate if you're looking for a perfect test that you're going to use tactile cues, and so and you know things like、uh, shock and heat、um, are are really good ways to make things learn really really fast, right?、Uh, the way I think about it is something that's visual. 
in a mouse and rat will not create as strong of a stimuli as it would a human, right? But it still creates one, right? As a as a as a as a human, if I smell something, it will evoke very strong sensations in certain things and not others, right? But my 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 way, my sense of olfaction is not as strong as a mouse and rat, right? But I can still learn through uh, through smell, right? And it's kind of the reverse where I can still figure out that that perfume means the woman that I'm seeing, right? Or uh, that jackass from high school. This song reminds me of this one person, right? And right. but I don't really think about it much in terms of auditory cues. I'm a primary visual person, right? That's all people are primarily visual, and so the senses all kind of go together. You just have to think about how much they go together into into the experiment and getting enough sensory information into an, a living being so that it learns, so that it does what you want and gives you the information you need. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. it's a package. Um, if you give it some visual cues, it will still figure things out. Maybe not as fast if it smells something, but it's still there. Um, the neurons are still firing. The, the learning circuit is still fundamental. The inputs are slightly different. Um, now, the question I think was originally back, was for drugs, interactions, right? I, I don't think the, the actual sensation it makes a difference because you, what you're really trying to protect is the frontal cortex, like the way you're thinking, right? The, the, the way that the neurons fire and looking at inflammatory cascades. So what tends to happen after a stroke, for example, is that you have a huge cascade of inflammation that actually causes a lot of the deficits uh, long term. Um, your your neurons uh, essentially uh, go undergo apoptosis where they will start killing themselves off uh, because there's so much inflammation after the neurons. So what you want to do is protect the brain from as much inflammation as possible. Um, so uh, that cascade, in theory, you you have a neuro uh, a drug that decreases that inflammation, right? And how the wiring fundamentally is connected at baseline doesn't really matter uh, because it's a whole brain attack at that point, right? Um, each individual circuit isn't affected. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, so how, how do you, uh, when, <laughs> first off, uh, two questions. Yeah. One, how do you measure a concussion when you're, when you're going in and you're giving rats concussion? How do you know that you're not giving one a more severe concussion than the next? This is a great question. So medicine in whole struggles with subtle pathology. I'll say that. So, now I'll talk about this from mice perspective and from a human perspective too, okay? Because there's actually there's a lot of movement on the human side for this kind of stuff too, okay? So um, for a long time, he, uh, if you looked at all the really old medical journals, right, uh, the outcomes were that did someone die? Did they lose a limb, right? And then really obvious issues. So were they able to walk? Were they able to speak, right? Um over the last 10, 20 years, you've started to see a bubbling of uh, ways to test people in more subtle ways, okay? So this started a lot from the neuropsych world where you would look at concussions and see if they could do, like, people can do, like, puzzles a little bit better, right? So there's something called the uh, Wisconsin trail, oh, sorry, the trail making test where uh, you, in a big um, piece of paper, you, you're your goal is to draw from number one to two to three to four. And th those numbers are kind of hidden within a bunch of other stuff. So like num letters and blocks and shapes and stuff like that, right? And so those tests are getting better and better with people. Um, so the NIH, for example, put out a big... Um, a big uh, set of outcomes called the PROMISE studies or the NIH uh, uh, NeuroQOL studies. So these are a standardized set of uh, surveys that you can deliver to people that um, that made it so 
you could figure out more subtle deficits. Are you anxious? Are you depressed? Um, are you happy with your life? Right? Stuff that medicine traditionally did never measure at all. Right? Because there's a lot of focus now in general in medicine to look at outcomes in general. Like, did the hip surgery make you walk better? Right? So that before in medicine, it didn't matter if you walked at all. You could actually walk worse. But the way that you had compensated in medicine was that you did the surgery. So if you did a hip procedure, but they didn't walk after, you'd still get paid. Right. right. So a lot of how medicine is changing now is that you will only get paid if this person does better, right? Or they, you, you know, a big portion of your compensation is tied to that. So exercise yeah, a matter. Take your car to the mechanic, <laughs> and 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 like you hear a little bit of a clinking around, right. and then and you get your car fixed because you hear some rattling. Yeah. And they fuss around and change something out, and then yeah. your car no longer runs. Right. But they still charge you for that part even right. though they just made your car worse right and that's what that's what medicine is like it, it used to be i mean it's still like that unfortunately but it's getting better um uh, yeah. I, I think i think uh, as a whole you know there's a lot of great people doing work on tying compensation to outcomes right right and so there's a lot of great innovation now into looking at how out so how um mice uh, sorry uh, how people behave um you know, after something like, you know, a surgery uh, and, and also much more subtle stuff, right? So you, so what's really easy to measure is do you walk, right? How's your strength in your leg? But people are measuring much more subtle stuff now too. So things like um, do you, uh, can you uh, do a timed up and go test? So there's, for example, um, I one of my good friends, so he has an app, right? So what this do, does is it takes your phone and it, in the phone, it's got all these accelerometers and sensors and all this stuff, right? And it sees, how much did you walk today? Did you walk after your surgery, right? So you can even do objective testing like that after um, after a surgery. Because before, what would happen was we'd measure in medicine, you at three months, at six months, and at 12 months when you go to clinic, and that's it, mm-hmm. right? Which is absurd, right? Uh, right now, what should happen is, how are you today? How are you in the afternoon? How are you at night, right? How are you tomorrow? How are you after you ate lunch, right? Did you hang out with your kids more often? So those kinds of outcomes generally in medicine are getting better as a whole. Um, <clears throat> so back to the analogy of the car. It's not if only if your car can you know go 10,000 more miles, does the light switch work, right? Does the AC still work? Does it still make that sound anymore, right? Uh, all that stuff really matters. And so you want to see, because what we care about is outcomes. It's not the intervention, right? Because for a long time in medicine, but if you think about it, Medicine is still in a phase where we're still figuring out what the intervention even is. A, a, the fact that we can now, um, if you have a problem with your hip, go in, saw off half your hip, and then implant a piece of titanium, like still blows my mind that that is a thing that exists and just you just do to people, right? That's, that blows my mind. Yeah. And that wasn't easy, right? That took a lot of time and effort to figure out like anesthesia. You had to figure out like, what do you insert as a hip? How do you saw off someone's hip and then take it out and then put in a new one, right? This stuff is incredible. You don't and see so, rats doing this stuff. Uh, I know, right? They make some, we're pretty special in that way, right? <laughs> so I think for a long time, there's a focus on getting those interventions right. And now that we, we kind of know that you can do these things, you want to know that they work, right? And that, that people are actually are happier and better and fitter and healthier, right? Um, so this goes back all the way to the my stage where I think um, being able to measure much more subtle outcomes is really important too, right? Um, but now I forgot the original question. 
Oh, I don't um, get on this topic. I <laughs> I don't even know. So so there was some link to to mice and rats, and now I don't remember anymore. Well, we, um, had, to, we had to pause and we got away. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, it was it was just about showing the idea of showing results and right. uh, and how. <laughs> In the old days, medicine was just billing you for. They were just like the shady mechanic that's right. that was running up a bill. Yeah. Once in a while, sometimes. <laughs> Once in a while, saying, I'm not, people I'm people not try. Saying. We try really hard. Yeah. Um, right. right. But you know, you know, to me, um, the outcome matters. I f- I focus on how do we make those outcomes better. If you can measure it better, right, you can you can start to see uh, um, that drugs. Uh, you know. So I'll give you another example, right. Um, instead of now in the mice stage, um, looking at just death and disability, you can uh, you can tell if a mouse um, is more subtly intelligent. As we're going back to that conversation, right over time. So when, uh, I used to do this research study. Uh, my own, one of my old mentors was a neurosurgeon, a uh, brilliant neurosurgeon, and his work was in subtle hyperperfusion. Okay, so what happens over time is that I don't know what so, that is. Okay, I'll explain. Okay. So over time, like your heart, you get plaques. Okay, in your heart. And if you, eat too, if you eat too many cheeseburgers, your arteries get clogged up, okay? So it used to be that if this gets clogged up, you have a stroke or you have a heart attack, right? And you die. So we would take the clot out, okay? Uh, and obviously, that's bad if you have a stroke or heart attack. That's really, really bad, right? But what they're showing now, and, and a lot of this work was, was that even if you have a little bit of clot in there, right, you're just subtly not quite as smart as you used to be. Or your heart doesn't quite work as well, which makes a whole lot of sense, right? So you can, in mice, if you give them, so what we used to do in mice is clamp one of their carotid arteries and you give them a stroke and you could give them a drug and see, oh, did this drug work or not, right? So there's a whole field now of work we do is instead of giving a mouse a stroke, you give give it, yeah, something similar. You can coil so you can make it so that the carotid is just subtly more narrow than it used to be, right? There's still blood flow. Everything still works fine. But if you throw these mice into a maze, they just don't learn as fast, mm. right? Which is fascinating, right? So it's much more subtle. So it used to be that, you know, if you have pain, you came to a doctor, right? Or you just don't feel right. Medicine will tell you like, well, you're fine. Even though very subjectively, you can you tell me that you're not fine, right? Something is wrong, right? It's always that thing you worry about. Someone tells you something is wrong, and I don't know what it is. And and what medicine is getting much better about doing is learning that when you measure better, you can actually discover that there is something wrong, right? You just have to be more look at the more subtle deficits, right? And this is a lot of this is a measurement problem, right? Uh, it's like if you've had a microscope, you can now see a whole other world, right? But if you looked with just your eyes and you didn't know, you would think there's no such thing as bacteria, right? right. Um, so a lot of the technology to look at how things are, are still getting better. And I think with technology, it's going to get even, it, it, it's really exciting for that, right? Um, so for example, you know, going back to that human form, to, at three months, at six months, at nine months, at 12 months, you do three or four measurements at best after a surgery and you see something, you know, has pain or not, right? And you look at the comparison group and you say, oh, these groups are the fine, you know? There's no such thing as this disease that doesn't exist, right? So all these people with diseases will tell you there's something wrong with them, right? And the big problem here is that as as a field in general, we're not very good about measuring. This person just subtly isn't the same. And and they can tell you if you have the technology to say every single day, they say, how's your pain today, right? Or how did you function today? And you'll find out on every other day, whatever it is, um, you just weren't quite as 
good or sharp or it had you had more pain and so that technology is getting is is getting out there and it's really exciting right mm. and it's the same thing for mice and rats so um, you're able to see if if a drug that you're developing helps in in in, um, in in subtle differences in intelligence right you can look at the brain and you can look at subtle changes in white matter as you eat more cheeseburgers and you have more pollution. Um, so there's a there's a guy also uh, with my former mentor who used to uh, put mice in a box of pollution. Literally, they used to live in a box of pollution. And you can look at the brains after, and they're just completely different, right? Because that 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 pollution gets into their system just like a cheese McDonald's, and not as much blood goes to their brain, and they get subtle subtle essentially strokes very very small strokes that you can never measure otherwise right yeah. and you can measure that now in mice and rats and then i think the next step is that you'll be able to measure that in people and that's what's really exciting right is that you are seeing uh, uh essentially the microscope being invented uh, for outcomes in uh in humans and in for mice and rats and so uh, that technology difference is gonna i think change how we think about uh, a lot of syndromes especially with pain uh, which is really hard to measure especially with subtle uh, motion like uh, cognitive deficits and also subtle like uh, motor deficits so just not be able to walk as much it's uh i like that that um, technology is going to get more and more sophisticated just to tell us more and more complicated ways of saying to diet and exercise and it's really really sad isn't it (laughs) but it's still you know how many podcasts i've done now and most of the theme is just diet and exercise and i'm still like i'm eating a brownie right Right. now as we're talking (laughs) i had uh, yeah but what's the point of life if you're not gonna enjoy it right like you gotta be elite steaks and you know drink some whiskey and have some fun but at the same time it's good to know that when it gets a little out of control there are there is something wrong with you when you want it to be right yeah well i want i want uh eventually we'll have a pill that we can take along with our steaks and whiskey so that uh so that we don't have to have the deficit from it exactly how are how are we measuring um how are we measuring progress in um so, so when you say none of these um uh, past medications worked for concussions what what are the kind of measurements that they uh, is it, are these like iq type tests that are being done or so some way so uh, normally what happens is you measure one gcs which is a very subtle it's like gcs your gcs is like it's scale of one zero to 15 oh sorry three for 15 um it's like do you speak are you are, do you feel pain? Can you respond to pain in any way whatsoever? Like it's really a measure of consciousness, right? So that is usually the first measure, okay? And then there is subtle uh, measures. Uh, if you have a, sh- it depends on what your your pathology. Let, let's talk about strokes, for example, okay? So if there's strokes, there's GCS. There's an NIH stroke scale, which is uh, other, uh, you know, it's it's essentially 15 tests where I'm going to see: Can you move your right arm? Can you move your left arm? Can you smile? Can you say your name? Can you tell me where you are? Um, can you spell world backwards? Can you add seven to seven to seven to seven? Right. So that's another basic test right but it still actually takes a lot of time to do um and then if you look at these research studies that look uh at uh implementation of drugs they start to do uh studying neurocognitive testing as well um so subtle neurocognitive testing so things like um there's outcomes like uh, quality of life outcomes like sf36 is one test um there's neuroql from the nih as well um so this is also 
there's a lot of controversy in this area because so for a long time what would happen is let's say I am uh, you know um, you know a pharmaceutical company and I am making my drug right mm-hmm. so what these companies would do is they would also invent the outcomes measure right so they would patent some study um, and so there's a big consortium that essentially holds a the patents to or copyrights to all these studies, right? Or these outcome forms. And this form is a validated measure of um, how you do after an outcome, right? So if you do knee surgery, there's something called the COOS uh, form, or, and, and this was invented by, it's like the knee outcome score. This was uh, open, it's and you can use it in, um, in Europe or something like that, right? So, um, same thing in, 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 in with a lot of brain stuff. So a lot of this is patented and, and, and trademarked and copyrighted. And so a lot of people couldn't use it except like very few holders and it costs thousand dollars to use, right? So um, that's what the NIH actually is putting a lot of really good tests that anybody can use, right? That measures at a very objective measure um, how your brain is doing. And those are becoming much more popular uh, to, to measure for a lot of these outcomes, right? So uh, NeuroQOL. So NeuroQOL has like a bunch of different uh, um, outcomes. So things like, um, you know, uh, can you remember, um, you know, in information if I test you cognitively, right? If How are you doing in terms of your anxiety, your depression? Um, do you have sleep? disorders are you able sleeping at night things like that right so there are forms that uh that we're able to use and so and every study is slightly different are these um, available just uh, openly can, publicly some of, yeah you can you can look them up and they, they they show you on a piece of paper right but technically if you want to use it in your study you have to pay a ton of money which which is totally normal i, I don't know, is that but normal? what if but, you're just <laughs> testing yourself with a variety of drugs in your, in your own time? are you asking for any particular reason because i've been doing that for years mm. Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> because what, what if once in a while you gobble mushrooms and then you think of the best jokes that uh, you've ever thought of and mm. it's a, and, and you're pretty convinced it's right. a creative enhancer. Is this, but you need to, but you need to yeah. find a more legitimate way of testing that. Is this your process? Is that how you come up with stuff? Um, it's, I mean, I can write every day. I can write jokes, but if I, so if I, uh, so I have like a large well of jokes and potential material, but I don't uh-huh. know exactly which direction I want to take something. Right. I don't know what like the theme of my next show should be about. Okay. I can uh, I can do mushrooms and it will kind of arrange the mess that's in my head in a way that gives me direction. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, this is how it will go together. And then I'll usually think of like in my my last act that I toured with, I thought of like my big closing joke. Okay. Um, which that's kind of a big deal to have like a big closer that ties everything yeah. together is really so. The ability to tie different concepts together okay. has increased. So that's something that would need to be tested. Well, let me ask you a question. So when you have, when you think of your brilliant joke, right? Sure. And that's, you test, and that's, you road that's, that's though, assuming, right? yeah, I am road testing it. And that's also assuming that I then don't have to, uh, make a make a whole show about ending up in a psych ward because i've eaten too many mushrooms oh. which is the thing that yeah there's always a risk of oh uh, i guess so right so. yeah well yeah that that happens <laughs> it's um, a risk. yeah so i mean it is a risk i guess yeah <laughs> um what i would say is that when you make your joke right and this is such a cop-out when you make your joke you test it on small shows at night, right. right? You go like a random Wednesday night at 11 p.m. when no one's there and you test a joke and you change it, right? Right. So that's essentially what I'm saying needs to happen is that like, like in medicine, what tends to happen is 
people think of their brilliant joke and then it just happens and then it just happens on main stage you know Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the iterative process of making it better over time is really slow. Ah, um, so that, you know, you need more night, Wednesday night, 10 PM shows. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's the same thing for, that's why I, I kind of care about mice and rats. Cause you know, <laughs> when you tell people, it's like, well, don't we all just care about the Saturday night HBO special? Like, right. yeah, we do really care about that. And, and, uh, and that's really important. Right. But really mixed in with that is you need your, your Monday nighter. Right. Yeah. You right. need your Monday nighter so you can figure out, hey, you know, this t- this joke is 10% funnier if right. you tell it with this pause right here, right? Yeah, you don't want to <laughs> climb all the way up to the 60-foot-high diving board. Right. And then and you've never told before, but, right. but you're like, I, it looks easy. I bet I can do a perfect <laughs> right. a perfect dive. Yeah. And you just belly flop horrifically, which I've done on stage many oh. times. And then right. people are like, Oh, you, no one was asking you to do that. <laughs> that was painful for right. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that can be funny too when it bomb uh, guess it's really painful. Sometimes. Yeah. But it's 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 better when you bomb in front of three people. Right. Yeah. So sure. well, it's better for them anyway. Sometimes it can be a little bit. Fu- I mean, I think if you have ways of recovering, a good. Uh, and now this analogy is is uh, because the reality of it is, is that testing stuff in the middle of an act is right. the best time to do it because you can recover from it. Right. Right. Um, in the middle. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I don't. I don't oh. know what the analogy is there. It's the but, analogy. Well, I think the analogy is that like, no, it's, it's really similar. I don't know if it's, I, I can't think of an analogy for the, in the middle of this, the set, but what I'll say is it, they're just, uh, it, to me, it's important to measure, uh, subtlety, mm-hmm. right? That, that has been, I think, uh, my overriding, uh, life goal, right? You, you get like one thing in life you get to like do in general, right? And, and that's what people, you know, Life's really short, you know what I mean? Like, I have this random website. I have it's, it's totally random. I'm not plugging it anyway, but it's like it's called agewen.com, and all it is is a What's picture. What's it called? Age, it. Agewen.com. Agewen. It's all it is is a photo, okay? And there's a photo of how many weeks you have left to live when you're 20 years old, 30 years old, and 40 years old, right? Mm-hmm. It's purely for me. It's like literally n equals one sees this website, and yeah, have you seen this graph before? It's it's um you take if you plot uh, across 52 dots, okay, mm-hmm. and you plot downwards, 80 or 85, okay, yeah, and you look at the number of weeks you've lived, it's shockingly small. Right. And uh, so I'm, you know, you look at it, it, when you put it in that perspective, life's incredibly short. So you get like one thing to really care about, right? So the one thing I really care about in life is measuring outcomes better hmm. it's because i think medicine as a whole and science as a whole is really good about really obvious stuff right like wow this guy doesn't talk anymore that that's pretty that's pretty obvious that there's an issue there right right but when someone comes to me and tells me i just i just have pain i don't i don't know what to do with that and i think that's where it's kind of broken right there's just no way to figure out when people have issues that you can't see when you're in an office or emergency department for five minutes, right? Yeah. And, and that that's an issue. 
Well, here here's a issue that I care about is is uh, learned helplessness. You mentioned the rats in the water when they yeah, give yeah. up and w- when they drowned, and then um, and then you mentioned a good way of learning is is through shocks and and heat. Yeah. That so that's so negative reinforcement actually works better many times. And some some rats. sometimes it depends what you're looking for, right? If you're looking for uh, depression and anxiety, those tend to work pretty well. You can actually induce depression pretty fast. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you cause a lot of failure. <laughs> so is there, so, so you cause enough failure in a rat's life and it, then it just gives up. Um, is, is there a way to, has there been found ways of speeding along the recovery process of when it will start being like, yeah, Hey, maybe there is a few things I can still learn out here. Maybe yeah. there is some hope. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. So is, is there, are there, applying, applying are there new mazes right? that we can build for ourselves <laughs> yeah. in life that will be yeah. like, you know what, maybe I'll go down this path just yeah. to check it out. It's at least a little question. more interesting. So I, I don't know if I'm an expert in that. I, I think, um, if you talk to a psychiatrist, they'll probably know much more about this topic than I will. Um, <laughs> the, the, here's what I know. Here's the little stuff I know. Okay. All right. Um, Generally speaking, when you have more positive, re- you you it, you can go back the other way with positive reinforcement. Um, you can go back the other way with, um, like I, I know it's diet and exercise, like literally diet and exercise. Um, like there was a study, I think. Um, actually, you know, there's a whole field of study called of something called environmental enrichment, whereas of the cage inside of the cage, you put in things like you know colorful exercise balls and uh, essentially puzzles and all this other stuff essentially, and it's something to play with. I know that sounds weird, but essentially, if you make the environment better, right, they tend to do better. Yeah, uh, and they've learned faster. There's more. Uh, there's less anxiety. There's less depression. There's more social behavior. Um, and, and that makes a lot of sense, right? It's just if you have a better, better life, right? Right. Um, so, so if you're living in like a really rundown uh, neighborhood, then that's going to make you give up a lot faster. Yeah. Because the yeah. maze that you're in, right, it seems broken and hopeless, right? And so therefore, you will be. Yeah, it's kind of sad, isn't it? It is a little bit. Tells us a but lot about at least, ourselves. At least we know. Like <laughs> right. it helps. It helps to be aware because I think a lot of people are just like, "Well, why don't they just try harder? Why isn't there just like better parenting or something like yeah. that?" But but it helps to understand that there's a lot more going on in an individual's, whether it be a human or a rat's environment, right. than just how it was being parented. I mean, a lot of a lot of your a lot of i believe but basically all rat studies are independent of like parenting right uh not always not always there's a bunch of maternal studies you can do really yeah if you um if you, there's a lot of maternal rearing studies like you can um there so one of the first people i ever worked with was a guy out of emory who used to do work with um maternal exactly this maternal re- rearing so you put a bunch of pu- uh, pups or like uh, you know uh, newborns um, and you separate them in another part of the maze mm-hmm. and then there's another part of the maze where you put them with their mothers and the ones with the mothers obviously do much better um, even for a little bit of time 
Um, and you start to see how, like how, at what age this starts to matter, um, how, how, like, it's like a lifelong effect, right? So even if at first the, the mother is removed, if, if you put them back only later, um, you know, it's completely different, right? The outcomes, they don't do as well. Um, so it really starts to show you that like the mother matters, mm-hmm. right? And then you start, you start to look at the brain. It's, it's fascinating. These studies, you know, the, I mean, it's still sad, but you dissect these mice in the end and you look at their brain and you look at RNA expression, right? And it's you know, ultimately they're the same genes, right? But they're because of the stress in life that causes a different epigenetic expression of their DNA. And uh, ultimately what's expressed is a very m- much more stressful uh, environment. And this actually carries on into the next generation. So when you have stress in your life, that changes how your DNA is expressed. So epigenetic expression, mm. that epigenetic expression actually you can show over multiple generations affects the next offspring which is also fascinating. Yeah. And really depressing too. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh I, I mean how does it how does it reset then? Uh, how does the uh, that epigenetic effect reset? I don't I don't know. I think um I, I think it takes time. It takes, you know, it takes life experiences, right? Like your life experiences really actually change how your DNA is expressed. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating. Um and I don't know, to me, you know, that's why for me in my life, I really care about making sure I'm surrounded by good things, you know, yeah. because like, like you have like that one toxic friend, suddenly right. you, you, it just affects your life. But then it's like, right? uh, are you not paying attention to the problems in life? That, I mean, it's, it's tough to say. Right. But you want some stress. You want healthy stress, right? Yeah. Healthy stress is good. Yeah. So. You shouldn't like you know if I if I go to work I should never feel like you know I'm gonna get like I, I shouldn't feel physically in danger right I, and that's I think basic thing so if I were going to a job that made me feel stressed out because I might die I might start to think about trying to change professions right mm-hmm. and or if I went to a job where I was getting yelled at every single day maybe that's not healthy either right because yeah. then you know that's that's not what i want right like or or maybe it's a healthy yelling i don't know maybe they're yelling because they, they love me and it's a really it's really out of uh, the goodness of their heart maybe that's okay to me that's okay right maybe depends who it is but i think um i would still i, I work really hard personally and, yeah. and the lessons i've learned from all this to put myself in good environments mm-hmm. because i'm really not like I, I can only control my own destiny so much but I, how I can really control my own destiny is to change my environment in a positive way, right? So, like you know, there's a common saying: uh, you're 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 some of the five cl- people closest to you, right? That's true, right? And, yeah. and I think if you have five people who you were really close to who are who just do nothing but complain and um, they stress you out, and you know you're always unhappy, I think that's going to affect who you are as a person. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, I used to be a very negative person and then I'm not as much as I, as I once was, but now sometimes I talk to some old friends of mine that, uh, that I used to get along with because we are both very negative and skeptical about life. And now I talk to them and I'm like, oh, I can't really talk to this person anymore. So what changed? Um, I think that I became, uh, I, I think understanding nuance, looking for the nuance in life a yeah. little more, is, yeah. uh, is taking taking more of a critical eye at, at life makes you uh, yeah. 
find potentially new opportunities. Searching okay. for opportunities okay. um, is, is something that... Right, so putting yourself in, in environments you want to be in, yeah. right? With yeah. good people. Yeah. That matters a lot. All right, so well, yeah. we—I uh, think we made it all the way to the cheese. Did we? That—that that wow. was like we got—we got a nice moral to the story. And yeah, everything. happy ending. Um, right? I'm so I—I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do a little something new with the podcast okay. and experiment with this and see see if it works at all. Um, I want to. I used to have people plug a charity uh, each week, and you're welcome to do that. <laughs> But I also feel like sometimes it puts my guests on the spot and they yeah. don't know which one to plug. And then people at home, I'm like, I don't know if I'm giving them like a guilt trip or yeah. something. And maybe they're not interested in this. Mm. So I thought instead, what about giving the guests an opportunity to give an extra credit assignment? So Ooh. this can be anything you want it to be. So you you already kind of gave gave mm. a little life philosophy. Life philosophy, I almost mm -hmm. said. Life philosophy. So it could be like checking out the app that your friend said or, uh, sure. that, that used or anything like that. That maybe maybe a practice that you use in your life or yeah. or something that you wish people a, a book that you wish everyone would read. Yeah. Anything. A, a, uh, like a get get into a, pick up a new hobby yeah any challenge for for the week i love for it for extra credit all right can i can i also plug a charity yeah you i don't know I, I work yeah, at a nonprofit, yeah. partners and so i think yeah. uh people should donate to the mass general hospital uh to um you know advance the future of science and medicine right that's that's like a that's a thing right like yeah give giving is is healthy i think right awesome. um and then i would also say i think um you know you know things i do i I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I'm serious. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks um, because there's a lot of downtime in life, and that downtime can be used to do something productive, right? Um, if I'm really feeling down or frustrated with life, I'm feeling overworked. I listen to like like cheesy inspirational books, which I love. Yeah. They make me feel really connected, right? Um, I, I've been reading more and more self help uh, books yeah. lately, and it's like. <laughs> I, it always feels a little cheesy when I when I start yeah. one, but uh, yeah. even the act of just doing it feels like that motivates me. It does, uh, e even if I even if I don't retain <laughs> half of the stuff right. consciously. No, it, it's in the, being in the moment, right? It just makes me feel like I'm not thinking about tomorrow or my problems. I'm instead I'm just thinking about how can I take advantage of today. Sure, that matters. Yeah. You know. Wonderful. I think like, you know, if you, the, the classics, there's the last lecture by uh, Randy Posh, pa, Randy Posh, I think is, oh, wait, this is fantastic. So he was a uh, computer science programmer at University of Pittsburgh. Um, no, I'm sorry. I'm not. It's, um, it's the University of Pittsburgh, the really famous uh, uh, university there. But he, so he had terminal pancreatic cancer. It's always the guys who are dying who are most happy, you know, and um, <laughs> I know, I know it's really sad, but. Um, he gave this incredibly inspiring lecture that, you know, talked about goals and dreams and, you know, he was a, as a kid wanted to be a Disney Imagineer and live life to the fullest. Right. And he, as he was dying, he gave this lecture that was like, you know, I did all these things and, and that's really what left him fulfilled. Right. And he had this great family and, and all the things that really mattered to him. Right. And I think, um, you know, I, when I think the things that always get to me are, are people who, you know, 
are dying. And is it one of the things that always fascinate me is, um, and this is like going back to the research study and I, maybe this is an extension of the interview, but people have personalities like, you know, there's happy personalities, there's bad personalities and people have the set point that they're at. And some people have to work a little harder than others to get to the point they want to be at. So I can sometimes be a really negative person because I just sit there and criticize things all the time. So I have to work really hard to remember, you know, you shouldn't be so critical and, and you're not in that situation yourself, right? So that's something I have to consciously work on. And you see, you see this in mice and rats and dogs and people and in horses, right? People just have set points and like you give a, a, a someone who wins the lottery um to a person who was in a wheelchair and a person who uh you know had everything made for them you know at first initially they uh they're really happy everyone gets a first sudden jolt but then after six months they all kind of go back to their set point right suddenly if you were in a, if you're you know a quadriplegic you're suddenly a quadriplegic with a little more money and you were really happy if you were happy before as a quadriplegic you can be happy still afterwards right it's the same thing uh, afterwards for uh, a guy who just really unhappy right all right um so it, we, people have set points and so i think for me i remember to try and work on where i am where i want to be in terms of my happiness yeah right? just try to nudge that set point up yeah, a little bit exactly and, and Podcasts really help me do that because they they're like another another perspective in my life that I otherwise podcasts and audiobooks right yeah uh, they they really help me remember that right that's something I actively work on plus I I like to uh, I like to read pod uh, audiobooks at like uh, double speed or listen yeah. listen to them rather at like double speed and then I think I'm like speed reading right <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile I have to hit the you know I. I listen to Audible, but right, me too. Um, whatever. We can plug Audible, it's great. Sure, whatever <laughs> anyone's into is fine. Yeah, and uh, hitting uh, hitting that re <laughs> yeah. hitting that rewind is always like because when I read, I I don't keep track of uh, how often I'm I'm losing place, <laughs> but during an audiobook, right. I have to like remind myself of like, oh yeah, I have to pay attention. I have to pay attention. Right. I have to hit that button again and again. Right, right. And it's kind of a good training my attention span to be like, okay, you get you need to be a better listener. Yeah. You need to, <laughs> and uh, so I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's one of the many things that I like about audiobooks. Yeah, yeah. I think just like just focusing on on the good things in life, you know, because I think we're all so conditioned to to not always focus on those things, right? Like my buddy uh, Alex, who's the app, right? So I would love to plug his app because you know this guy worked at Google for a while, mm -hmm. and he worked at NASA and Google, and he was like, you know. I don't know if being a programmer is for me. I'm just going to go program, but I'm going to go program on things I want to go program. And he decided to go work on a health app to like, to figure out um, how to implement surveys better or how to make people happier. You know, mm -hmm. like that's really interesting, right? Because like, so what's the app name? It's, it's uh quality.com Q O L T Y.com. It's, it's a great, it's a great app. And, and you know, it's, you know, it's more for like uh, clinics and stuff I don't deal with, but like, it's still that, you know, he really, he really like made a good decision in life, right? And I think that's what made him happy. And so I want to support that, right? That that's something to support, you know. That's that makes wonderful. people happy. Yeah, I like like it. that. That that is what's important in life. When you when you look at mice and rats, and I'm doing all this stuff, you know, it's about making people a little healthier, a little happier. Wonderful. That's all I can help. That's all you can hope for, right? Well, well, that's a that's a lovely message to end on. That that's maybe, that's one of the most upbeat. Uh, I'm gonna start doing more extra credit uh, yeah. assignments because okay. that's one of the more upbeat endings to a podcast that I've had. Oh. Yeah, get out there and be happy. Everybody. Be happy. Do what makes you happy. Yeah, it might sound a little cheesy, but hey, you know, uh, yeah. if you're happier, great. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for joining me. It was great. uh, Thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. And we will talk with you next week. Next week on the podcast, I head to Sydney, Australia. It's a bit of a mystery. I'm doing three... Uh, the accent started right toward the end there. started going Beatles a little bit, I felt like. And uh, I'm sorry, I should have practiced. I gave it a shot. I didn't... I'm going to be honest, I didn't really have my heart in it. Um, it was a little cheesy, you know? Just trying to have a little fun here. All right? I'm not perfect at Australian accents. All right? Jeez. You guys have to be so critical. Um, Next week, I'm going to be in Sydney uh, doing three different podcasts. I can't tell you which one I'm going to release first because I'm going to record them and then decide. But I'm real excited about all three of them. Past guest Robbie Wilson has lined up three awesome guests for me. So, it's always a sure bet when I have referrals from past awesome guests so it's gonna be great please check out the laughable app if you haven't yet and if you have checked out the laughable app make sure you're using it correctly and subscribing to your old friend shane moss so you will you hear me when i'm on other podcasts and uh hopefully in the in the near future they started they've started selling tickets on there so hopefully in the near future they will be um when i'm coming through your town it will a little thing will pop up on your screen and be like, "Hey, Shane's coming to town," and you can make sure and be notified. That helps me out tremendously. Uh, Spirit of the Bear is the music playing under the outro. Check out the Jimmy Fro podcast for more information. Ramin Nazer has wonderful comic books out. His last one, Cave Paintings for Future People, is fantastic. And with the promo code favorites, you can get uh, you can get ten percent off. Or is it favorite? Oh, jeez, I think it's favorite. Um, you can get ten percent off any of his stuff. So please check that out to support the show. And also, you can support the show tremendously by going to Patreon.com/ShaneMoss. And you'll also get a little behind-the-scenes look. And I'm telling you, I'm, I've been working up the courage to release these DMT episodes. I'm going to do it, guys. I've just been figuring out. I've been writing them out, all my experiences. And uh, it's just uh, all, all the stuff that I went through lately. I've been a little nervous about sharing them some of it's just insane sounding some i don't know what to believe uh i I don't know how much i can trust my memories of past experiences but it's real interesting and i'm just going to share the truth as i know it and so check that out patreon.com slash shane moss i've been having some fun recording some stuff on there dishing out some life lessons and uh, just talking about what I, everything that I have going on. So check that out, please, please, please. 
Um, it would really help support the show. It's it's gotten to the point now where Patreon is just about paying for um, just the basics of the Here We Are podcast. Um, so that is really, really helpful. So I very much appreciate it. Extra special thanks to four Patreon premium subscribers who are Michael Wicks, Casey Bishop, Pila Sunderland, and Kenny Faulkner. Thank you guys so much for your additional added efforts. It's helping so much. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. I keep to myself Staring at the sky Thrown into life It's all a lie Tell me I'm wrong I saw this last round Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide buddies. (laughs) 
That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bat. bat. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, bat. a bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich- I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I, I'm a I bat. People. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my. 